1: I hope this um, day finds you all well and safe, and uh, hopefully avoiding this crazy pandemic of COVID. Uh, Today, I am really pleased to introduce you to Robert Gardner. Robert Gardner is a researcher, he's an attorney, and he's all kinds of other things uh, out of Chicago, Illinois, or I guess it's Oak Park, isn't it, Rob?
2: Oak Park, correct,
1: yes. Oh quark. Uh so welcome Rob to the show. Uh I'm just I'm so interested in what you do because um I know you you're the one that takes the deep dives into researching that uh maybe private investigators don't necessarily do.
2: Yeah, yes, I think that that's a good assumption or a good uh, characterization.
1: Yeah. So I you know, um I'm in, I'm so interested, Rob. I know your background was um, originally in accounting, correct?
2: I worked for an accounting firm, so okay. you know, my background. Is, but I, I did work for an accounting firm for for ten years, but uh, I learned a lot of accounting. But I'm not an accountant.
1: <laughs> okay, what did you do? For uh, you worked for Arthur Anderson. What did you do there?
2: So I, I did. I did business investigations research. Uh, I both supported the work of our our fraud our unit and worked with uh the the kind of the greater firm on a variety of risk management issues, uh especially client acceptance and and issues related to that. So I was uh, there. I was the guy that did all the the research and that's that's where I really learned how to do this and learned how to apply it to a variety of business problems.
1: So I'm so curious. How do you get a job like that?
2: Well, being lucky, I, I, I've been in the right place at the right time. So I I graduated law school, and yeah, I was kind of you know trying to find a job, looking what was of interest to me, and. I had always been interested in the business of investigations. In fact, that was my primary interest before law school. And the only reason I went to law school is my my parents, especially my dad, really pushed it, thinking that I would kind of grow out of this interest in investigations. But <laughs> I found myself, after three years of law school, still very much interested in the business of investigations. And especially in... The intersection of kind of investigations and kind of bi- big business and corporate America and corporate investigations—it was really that this period in the the late '80s was when the the kind of crawls and the, the the first starting kind of private investigation as a kind of a corporate type of business mm. and working mm-hmm. not just you know, kind of the traditional pride investigation aspect. So I was very interested in that. And I found out that Arthur Anderson, a, you know, a firm that I knew very well, especially, you know, being in Chicago, you know, had a fraud practice. And in fact, it actually had one of the, you know, the, the original fraud practices for a big six accounting firm. So, you know, I was interested in it. And I found some people that were working in that, that unit And I sent them my resume and, you know, know, kind of nudged them. And their position was, well, we're looking for people with gray hair, you know, lots of experience (laughs) who can do, uh, you know, have credentials with the FBI or things like that. And that's what our clients want. And and you're not that. I'm like, all right, you know, okay, Mm. never mind. So... I I proceeded to get a position at Arthur Anderson with their, their tax group. They, they hired lawyers, and I needed a job. So I was ready to become a tax professional. I, would, I was not expecting that. And, and pretty much on the day I was going to be starting as a tax professional, they came to me and they said, we have something in the fraud group maybe you're interested. And I said, no. all right. And they they said, well, we need someone to do the research and it's going to be almost, it's going to be almost exclusively for the client acceptance. That's all you're going to do is research. You don't get to deal with, with the clients. It's going to be really detailed and not fun. Are you interested? And, and <laughs> I lo- yes, they made it exactly. They made it sound like it was <laughs> the worst job in the world. And I was like, first of all, you know, yes, I wanted to get my foot in the door and, B research was what I really liked, and, and it was always been interested in. As you said, I've done uh, graduate research in criminology, you know, law school. Legal is a lot of research, so I knew I could do research. I knew the process of researching. I'd already used online databases like Lexis and Westlaw as a law clerk. So I said, "Yes, I will. I will do this." So I got thrust into this this position. Uh, you know. Kind of learned as I, as I went by. Uh, and for over 10 years, I, I led this practice at Arthur Anderson, uh, doing a variety of, of research looking in, in fraud situations, uh, I say, client acceptance, litigation support. Uh, basically, where the paper trail stopped and the traditional accounting methodologies stopped, that's when myself and the people who work for me would step in using public records, online databases, stuff like that to, to support uh, these other engagements.
1: You know, what, what this really highlights, Rob, is, uh, you know, so many times people turn down a job or they don't seek out a job because it doesn't fit their specific qualifications or they think it's under their pay grade or whatever. And what you're, what you're showing here is that, you know, jump right in. You know, and right. uh, and the opportunities will come to you. The same thing has always happened to me. I've all I my entire life I've taken jobs that have been uh, below my pay grade, so to speak, for what I thought I should be worth, and uh, and I, you know, you climb up the ladder quickly that way.
2: And it's, yeah, it's, and
1: it's I, fascinating.
2: I mean, I I I felt or I found that I had more. More kind of autonomy and responsibility, you know, as as even as like a young you know staff person at Arthur Anderson than than most you know kind of seasoned professionals, you know, because I was running, I was running my own practice. I was responsible for for every aspect of the practice, uh, you know, hiring you know people, training staff, developing the methodologies, uh, you know, finding the work. So you know, they were willing to give me a a, a lot of of leeway and a lot of support and, you know, kind of the space to, to grow and develop and I'm, I'm very mm. grateful for that, that chance and I, you know, I think I, I used it well.
1: <laughs> Probably mainly because they didn't know what you were really doing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe not.
1: <laughs> uh, well, that's great and you, and you were there 10 years and so it sounds like you really yeah. built up a, a, a great department of research there. That's great. Right. Uh, so, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, the, I
2: mean, the great thing about what I do is, I mean, I mean my, my whole uh, kind of, you know, raison d'etre is, is public records. So, so the whole ad, advantage of, of being in public records is even at the end of the day, if they don't know how I got, got to some place, they can see what I got. And, and you can put your finger on it. You know, you can, you can look at you know, a newspaper article or a court case or, or whatever. So, so that surely, you know, that's always been something that's, you know, I feel like has backstopped my career, which is, you know, I'm not dealing in anything that's, that's, you know, shady or, or nebulous or gray. You know, I'm not saying, you know, just take my word for something. I'm saying, anytime I say something I can point to a document or some you know some some source and and cite it, put note it, capture it in a way that lends legitimacy to what I do.
1: So you never really intended to practice law that was just something you kind of went through the motions to get get through it because uh, your dad wanted you to do that
2: Yes, yes, I mean yes I mean have, have, having the law degree you know gave me some inclinations, but no, investigations was always what I was most interested in.
1: And did you um, learn any research techniques when you were in law school, or, or is this all self-taught? Well, I,
2: law school helped me in, in two key ways. For, first, it a lot of the concepts that you come across in, in investigative due diligence Asset searches, the the types of engagements that I'm involved with and involve a lot of legal things, for lack of a better word. You know, so for instance, you know, we're always talking about, well, we're searching for UCC filings and -hmm. a lot of investigators like know that that's something you look for, but they have no idea what a UCC filing is. They don't even know what UCC stands for. So a lot of the legal background helps me just understand some of the words, the concepts, the, the, when you're looking for something, you're looking at a criminal matter. You're looking at a civil case to understand, you know, what's going on. So the law, the law, degree really help me there. But, but the other thing is, you know, it's, you know law, as I said before, it is a research-oriented uh, profession. I mean, you know, what you're doing all the time is is researching. So it's all about, you know, finding the best source. Uh, and, you know, getting, a, you know, the right kind of document that, that makes your, your case. So, you know, I, I understood the process of legal research. I had been, during law school, I clerked for the Federal Public Defender in New Orleans, and I was involved with a lot of litigation, uh, mostly mm. appellate, but also trial litigation. And I researched a lot, a lot of cases, wrote briefs. Uh, I used Lexis and Westlaw, Mostly Westlaw at the time, I believe. Um, that's what the federal government used, and so you know, I, I learned like the, the principles of online research. So when I, I started at Anderson and, and you know they they said here here's Lexis, here's you know these other databases. I I knew from my legal background, you know the kind of the the the, the sense of how to use it. You know I, I at least you know knew the concepts, which made it a lot easier to learn how to search.
1: Okay, so um, so backing up a second, you mentioned UCC filings, so we might as well tell our listening audience what UCC filings Mm -hmm. are since you brought them up. People may not know, so why don't you explain that?
2: So, so a UCC filing is a document that shows a secured relationship between, you know, a, a party and and a creditor when the property that's being being uh, collateralized or the collateral is, is personal property. So it's, it's akin to a mortgage. Most people are, understand what a mortgage is, which is
1: mm-hmm. when
2: you take land and you use it as collateral for a loan. If you use personal property as collateral for a transaction, then a UCC is filed instead. And these UCCs are filed generally at a state level and they're going to show like i say a relationship between a a debtor and another party as, as the creditor from an investigative standpoint they're they're useful for two reasons one is to show the existence of of the you know, debt but also a lot of times it shows business relationships or, or other relationships that may not have been uh apparent in other types of filings like corporate filings or, or other business filings cuz a lot of times like a person may not be listed as as an officer in a company but their lender still requires them to to be you know the guarantor or something of a transaction so they'll be listed as a co-debtor in a UCC filing so it's 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 a public record that's used a lot in investigative Research in the due diligence context or in the asset search context.
1: So what I'm I'm thinking of uh, where I've seen UCC filings. is like when somebody when a company buys like a, a high powered copier uh, copy machine that maybe right. fifteen twenty thousand dollars that there's a UCC filed on that item.
2: Right, right. Because usually what, what I'm thinking is a copy machines they're they're leased. So, so you don't own the, the, the copy machine there's you know, that's, or, or you're paying off, you're buying that copy machine under like a long-term financing and that Mm -hmm. copy machine itself is, is the security for the, um, the payment. It's like a, I mean, it's like a car Think of like a car loan. So the car is, you know, the car itself is, is the security. So like when you don't, you don't pay a car loan, you know, they can come, you know, take, take your car. So the UCC kind of is there to show other personal property situations when you can't otherwise, like see that that piece of property. So a lot, oftentimes it's accounts receivables. So like oftentimes people businesses finance their their businesses through through what they call factoring. So they they
1: mm-hmm.
2: they pledge that accounts receivables to a lender. So the lender you know gives them. You know, hundred, you know, million dollars, you know, for, and then that that hundred, you know, they pay back that lender, you know, from their accounts receivables, and there's a UCC filing. that would show the lien in the 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 accounts receivables.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I'm very familiar with the factory. My husband used to be in that business, so uh, it's it's a it's a great process for young businesses that can't get financing through a bank or even probably. Right seasoned businesses today that can't get financing through a bank. So the key thing is the what? Go ahead.
2: I was just going to say, I mean UCCs are just, you know, an example of something that's out there in the public realm that, you know, it it serves to for you know one reason, which is that you know, for the protection of, of creditors so that they know that, you know, property is not, you know, kind of pledged more than once. But as as investigators and researchers, we can use it for other reasons. And I think that's that's one of the fundamental kind exactly. of you know stories I want to tell or methodologies. It's, it's just finding that stuff that's out there. It doesn't make a difference why it's out there, but if it's out there, you can use
1: it. So, Rob, you mentioned that when, while you were at Arthur Anderson you learned the principles of research. What, how would you identify those principles?
2: Well, I would say that there's so kind of a couple of things. You know, first, it's how to search uh, using the various online databases, things like that. Second, it was understanding kind of the the universe of public records. You know, how how records are organized, where they're organized, how how to obtain them, and then you know, third was the sense of you know, wh- what do people need to know? You know, if I'm, if I'm in a due diligence context or if I'm in an asset search or, or I'm interviewing someone in advance of a potential, you know, fraud, you know, I'm trying to get a confession, you know, wh- what am I looking for? So I think mm-hmm. those are the, th- the three broad areas that, you know, I kind of learned as my career blossomed.
1: So, just curious, when you were starting out, was there one thing that was a surprise to you when you got delved into this research arena? Well, I guess it's,
2: it, you know, I, I, I'll come back to it again and again. It's, it's just the, the sense of how, how valuable public records can be, and the fact that there's mm-hmm. all this information that's out there that, that's kind of yours for the taking if you know where to look and you know kind of what to do with it once you find it. So, so I think, yeah, it was a little bit surprising, you know, all the stuff that's that's out there. Um, but I, you know, I'm glad that it's out there and, and I, I know that it can be used very well.
1: I, and you know, where to look is the key. I, I mean, that's where your experience that's where somebody who's been in the business a while's experience plays out is knowing where to find things. We may not have right, any more right. access. That, <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. Right.
2: Oh, yeah. I think that, that, that some of it is just knowing certain types of records that, that exist. Like, for instance, uh, a few months ago, I was doing some work, work on expert witnesses, and they were uh, in the medical – they were doctors. And this this case involved a a medical technology. And, and, you know, they're looking at these, you know, expert witness testimony. And one of the things they wanted to find out was conflicts involving these doctors and whether these doctors were connected to any manufacturers or specifically to the parties, you know, at at play. And so I, I knew from experience, you know, which that, you know, there was databases out there, public record databases that showed, these doctors' connections to medical uh, uh, equipment providers, you know, showed you know uh, conflicts and stuff involving the doctors. So you know, that's something like like it's not it's not like a great secret to know that you know that this is out there, but just to you know, through experience and know that there's these kinds of documents out there.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and that's really interesting. So. So when you um, when you take on a case, Rob, how do you evaluate where to start? So, I mean, there's, I, you know, the, a lot of my cases
2: are—I don't I know quite the right word, but but you know, most people when they come and say, you know, do you know we're looking to do you know business with someone, or or we just need a basic background check—they don't really quite know what they want. You know, they don't know what that mm-hmm. entails they look you know they're looking for me to give them a sense of of what that entails so you know i I have kind of like a a basket of public records that I would check in in like a normal situation where there's no other specific scope or no other specific you know kind of search request so so a lot of my cases it's just you, you know there's this you know kind of preset routine and then Yeah, the other kind of uh, sense of cases, side of cases, there's, like, very specific things that they're looking for. And what I'm trying to do is, first of all, understand what they're looking for and then, you know, identify, you know, these are the kinds of public records or publicly available open source information that can address your concerns. I mean, sometimes, sometimes you can't, you know, they're looking for something that you can't address through, through public records or open sources. And, and I'll be straightforward and say that, you know, for instance, you know, someone's in, in a, like a matrimonial context and they're trying to find, uh, you know, if a person is, is, you know, not, you know, not you know, cohabitating, well, you're not going to find that, you know, through, you know, online database searches. So, you know, I would tell them that, I mean, I said, you don't, you don't need me, you need someone, someone else. You need, mm-hmm. you know, something like surveillance. So, mm-hmm. So not in a you know, not every situation, the, you know, the answer, you know, I, I can get them the answer as to what, you know, where to look, but not every situation, I'm going to be the person doing the looking because it doesn't involve public records or, or open source documents.
1: Fascinating. So what, uh, what brought you to my attention, Rob, was the article you wrote for uh, Pursuit Magazine. And uh, you talked about open source resources. Um, The actual uh, article is entitled, What's the Value of Huge Undifferentiated Lists of Resources that People Don't Know How to Use the Tools. I think that's fascinating because you're right. We get get lots of links of searches that we can do. Can you expand on that?
2: Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's like one of my, I just, Biggest pet peeves, or, or uh, I don't know what's the right word to say it, but it's been my it's been a bugaboo of mine for a long, long time that that a lot of, of kind of articles on research or or uh, discussions, you know, they, they they just throw out you uh, links or sources or, or say, well, here's a you know here's a bunch of places to go, but that to me that doesn't help you do what you need to do because first of all, you don't know what to do with, with the, the links that they're sending him to you. And, and second, you don't know if, if these links are really the right places to go. So when you see like, here's, you know, best open source, you know, directories or five, five links for company information. How, how do you know that those are the five best links or how do you know, then when you see like you know this is you know a link, how do you know that you know what that that link is is going to get you what you want, or there there's not kind of issues you know with that that link. So you know I just to me when you start out with with looking at at the at the sources, you're 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 not you're not seeing the bigger picture, and I think you got to start out with that bigger picture, which is like the things we just talked about, which is understanding. You know, what, what are the business problems? You know, what, what information do you need to resolve your problem or, or to help you? And then, you know, what, what specifically, you know, what kind of document or public record can we get you to help you resolve, you know, your issue or manage your, your issue? And then once we figure out that, then we look at and say, well, which is the best source, which is the best link to go to? But when you work the other way around, you you you're just missing things all the time, you know. So you're just if you just like like if you know that these are the five links to look at, well, how do you know that you're looking at that those five links are the best? If someone gives you and says, you know, here's five links for company information, you know, how do you know that that's the best links? I mean, the the example I like I throw it all the time is the the site opencorps.com, which I use a lot and a lot of investigators and researchers use because it's it's a readily available, easy-to-use database of company records, but, but it doesn't contain the, the, the company records from every state. I mean, specifically, it doesn't mm-hmm. include Illinois, the state I'm in. So as mm-hmm. someone just said, you know, look for company records, look at corpse, but if you're looking for an Illinois company, and then you, you, you come back and say, well, I didn't find anything, you know, did you do it? You know, it's, it's, the problem was you looked in the wrong place not that there was nothing to be found
1: i th- that's such a good point and you even go on to say that i uh, when you get a, a list of links you're actually impeding the pro- progress of investigation right, or right, research right right like i
2: say it's you know you got to start out with, with understanding the the process of research you got to understand you know the, the 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 greater the greater picture you know so for instance when it comes to company records you got to understand you know, like what, what, what companies are, you got to understand, you know, why companies are, are styled the way they are. You know, what's the difference between a corporation and a limited liability company and or a corporation and a partnership. And unless you know that you can't, it's hard to really like track it down and understand where to look. So, you know, if you're looking for a partnership and you're looking in these, these secretary of state company records, you're never going to find it because they're just not, where partnership records are going to be are going to be be filed, so you have to understand, you know, like the the greater concepts.
1: So, how are you going to figure that out? If you how if are you're going researching, to figure that out? yeah, if you're researching a corporation, uh, trying to figure out what's going on with them and who who the movers and shakers are, what are your steps?
2: So. I, again, it, you know, the first thing I'm trying to understand is what kind of business is it. So, and that's going to drive my my research. Is it a large publicly traded company? Is it a small, closely held company? You know, with with you know a smaller you know that, that's not publicly traded. If it's if it's a large publicly traded company, then you know there's. I would look at, you know, the SEC Edgar database, which contains all sorts of filings that, that the company required to make in order to sell, you know, stock to the public. Now the vast majority of companies don't fit into that classification. So there's, you cannot look at the SEC Edgar database for information. So then the question is, where, where do you look? So again, I'm going to try and understand what kind of company is it. And, and there's two things I'm looking for. You know, one is like the structure of the company. Is it a, you know, is it a limited liability company? Is it a corporation? Is it a partnership? Is it a sole proprietorship? And the second thing is, is it a business that's, that's regulated in, in any sense? So if the business is regulated, and a lot of businesses have some type of, of regulate. you know, if you're like an insurance broker, if you're an athlete's agent, if you're a cosmetologist, I mean, it's amazing, you know, the funeral parlors, there's, it's amazing the amount of entities that are regulated. In some fashion, so so if it's a regulated business, I'm going to look for you know some type of document or some kind of record that's filed with their state usually, uh, you know on the regulation. So that's one place I'm going to check, and then based on the type of business it is, if it's a corporation or a limited liability company, then I'm going to look at the secretary of state records. It's going to give me some basic information on the company. Such as the the officers or the directors. If it's a sole proprietorship or partnership, then I'm going to have to look at other types of, of directories, such as assumed name filings or county recorders, to try and find the owner behind behind the company. So that it's always going to be based on on the kind of company. And it, so again, it's it's understanding in what kind of business it is, understanding what can be. What is filed for that type of business that drives the research?
1: Okay. Okay. I have some more questions about that, but I think this is a good time to take a really quick break. Uh, can you hang on just a second, Rob, and we'll be right back. Sure. Thanks.
0: News. Opinion. PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator. We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified. Streaming Live, the leader in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com
1: I'm back with Rob Robert Gardner, Rob Gardner, uh, Robert Gardner Associates. He is a researcher, not a private investigator. He is actually licensed to practice law, um, but doesn't. <laughs> and, and I'm loving talking to him about research because he is a an expert researcher. And you were just talking about corporate research, but I'm thinking that the, the difficult ones are really – um, those that are trying to hide assets or closely held corporations and, uh, or right. maybe have assets offshore and all of those kind of things. Tell us about those.
2: Yeah, like, like I was involved with a, 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 a big matter uh, during the kind of the, the height of COVID. I it was, it was lucky to have such a kind of an intriguing, interesting case um, as COVID kind of sprung to keep, <laughs> keep me busy. And right. it, it involved an individual who, who had, over the course of, of, like, say, the last 20 years, purchased a, a variety of businesses. And one of the areas he was heavily involved with was the insurance business. And, and he, in the context of his insurance businesses, he had to give some, some guarantees. And then these, these insurance companies started faltering. And there were some questions about whether he could he could come true on on, on his guarantees that he had given, which you know totaled almost uh, half a billion dollars. So there was a lot of money at stake. So they wanted mm. to know you know what what was this guy really about, and you know what kind of assets and and companies did he really have? So so it was you know uh, you know really a kind of a, a multi pronged target you know trying to really you know throw a bunch of stuff up and see what what landed and i think what's interesting about that case is it's it's less a question of like you know like how to search or you know just getting on the internet and and knowing that when you see a document you know you should keep on reading it and then sometimes when you keep on reading it to keep on reading it um so what was really interesting in this case was i i i just happened to come across a, a document online that involved this, this guy's company and, and some regulatory matters. But as I as I continue to go through the document, I found, you know, that that one document led to another document led to another document, and lo and behold, was an exhibit that he had the, that had been you know kind of filed that that listed almost his entire holdings, you know, eight hundred plus holdings, including. Um, you know, offshore companies, including you know a lot of different entities that we we were not even aware of. Or we 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 knew maybe like like a partial name, but it was all laid out for us. Um, hmm. So it was you know you know kind of the major project in that case was just taking all that information and 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 scheduling it out. But like I say, the the, the real lesson is is to, is to just be cognizant and be aware of sometimes of, of which document. That that may appear benign or or not of value, and then you know don't you know if you you know sometimes you can recognize that this is a document that's important, and I right. and wh- I think what you know what I was able to bring to that case was to, to, to see this document and say gosh this is something to keep on reading, and the and the more I read you know, um, and then you know the more I found, and you know so like I can say that's a big lesson you know sometimes you just can't. You can't go to the first, you know, Internet page or you can't go to the first page of a document. You have to be able to, to go deeper.
1: That was like finding gold. That was <laughs> right. That was great. Right. But, but I get what you're saying, because sometimes when you see those legal documents, you think that's just what they are as a legal document. It's not going to take you anywhere. It's not going to necessarily say anything that you need. And so it can be easily ignored. Right. Right, I think
2: right. And that's like you know, you talk you know, you asked me before, like, you know, how does someone know this? I mean it's 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 hard to be able to teach someone sometimes, you know, like which documents matter or, or mm-hmm. which is the thing to 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 pursue. And it, it just takes some of it is, is just experience working, you know, with other types of asset searches or fraud cases and knowing that this is a document that's that's crucial. But a lot of it I always say it's it's just it's understanding, you know, who people are or understanding, you know, how things kind of the ways of the world. I mean, when I was at Anderson, when I, and I used to have to do a lot of uh, employee reviews, I would always tell people in the reviews, read the Wall Street Journal, you know, read business books. I mean, that's you need to know this. you need a lot of it is like you need to know the people before you come across them. Mm-hmm. So, like, for instance, I I. I've been involved with a lot of like IPO uh, due diligence and other types of where, where we're looking at situations where there was penny stocks or, or kind of shady investment brokers. And I would see like, like a lot of times I just, I found out that like all these penny stock brokers were based in Englewood, Colorado. And I Mm -hmm. would like see a new penny stock broker and I'd see they're located in Englewood, Colorado. And I was like, that that company has to be hinky, and then you know, sure enough, we would pull you know, we would get you know various documents and be like, yeah, but but it's like you 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 know if you know certain names or you know um um uh you know kind of certain circumstances, it it kind of short shortcuts a lot of things.
1: Hmm. So I guess. Um... I guess what we're really doing when we do research is we're looking for the the missteps, the, for a bad, lack of a better word, the dirt. You want to you want to make sure if you're doing due diligence on a on a company that they're clean, correct? Right. You don't want right. to s- see any shady business. So you're really looking for the 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 glitches that indicate that maybe something isn't what it appears.
2: Right. I think some of it is is you're looking for. You know, like what, what you know, what wasn't disclosed or what's not in, in the person's background? Why did they not, you know, put that in? So so for instance I was working with with a company that invests in in clean energy projects and they were looking into this guy that, that had done a variety of of these projects like hydroelectro dams and things like that. And he provided what looked to be a very detailed resume. But in doing some research, I found other resumes of him. And there was discrepancies Hmm. in the resumes. And then I immediately, like, you know, why why is this? Why is this? You know, why did he not, you you know, disclose where he was working during these years? And I started looking, you know, into what happened during those years. And I found, you know, some significant litigation involving this guy and, you know, some companies he was involved with. That involved, uh, you know, kind of misuse of investor proceeds. Everything you know, like that, my client did not want to hear or see. So mm-hmm. you know, kinda yeah, really you know, sure. kind of squelched the deal. But it was all based on seeing that that kind of gap in the resume.
1: You know, I'm looking at your uh, the documents you provided to me, and uh, you really. Uh, I guess highlights what what we we're just talking about. you approach um, you approach all investigations on a risk basis. So right? Uh, in this document, you're saying you're looking at the uh, the risk would include the nature of the industry, the business structure, the business history, what is known about the management, and any prior disclosures, and then you follow all those leads. So tell us what you're um, if you could, what goes into the elements of conducting a, a business investigation
2: so you know i always say that that doing like background research is like doing like calculus you know there's there's no <laughs> you're you're not you're always like you know you, you can't square the circle you know you, you can only shade you know you, it's like you're you're like making little cross hatches right i mean you keep on you keep on filling in stuff but you're you're never going to fill everything in. So it's, it's like a continuum. So mm-hmm. the, so the question always is, is, you know, like where do you want to start? Where do you want, and where do you want to end? And then like kind of, where do you want to go next? And it's, it's, some of it is based on, on, you know, like what, you know, what you are trying to find and, you know, what's your, your transaction risk or what's your exposure in you know, like in a lawsuit or, or asset search. Um, and that's going to kind of drive how the, how the, the research is, is developed. So you, you know there's no need to create a, a 50 page dossier when you know I can get you the answer in, in a couple hours. if all you're looking for is you know a couple of articles that help you know answer your, your question, then that's all you need. So so like I say, it's, it, it's really it's, it's understanding the situation. it's understanding the complexity of the situation. A lot of what drives research is not is not like what you're looking for, but it's what you find. So, like if I'm doing research on a, on an individual that I that's going to have a lot of companies, or let's say like a real estate developer or something like where you know that they set up a lot of entities, then I know it's going to take me a lot more time to to do that project because it's it's just there's going to be so much more to to uh, summarize and, and make sense of um so so understanding those things you know going in you know kind of helps guide people's expectations and also guides you know the, like the process you know it's it's kind of like you know what's what's the joke you know it's like you know i i there's i'm trying to figure out the exact punchline or whatever but basically it's you know it's kind of like how much do you want to want to spend and then we set set the parameters based on that and and it seems like it's a little bit of a you know, that's uh, pithy or whatever. But, but if you're just trying to get an answer that's, that's straightforward, then, you know, th- there's no need to, to to dig a deep, deep hole.
1: Well, you know, you gave an example um, of, uh, you categorized, categorized it under needles and haystacks. And can you talk about this client bank? Can you tell us about that situation?
2: So, so I think the story that, that that I have on my website is one of my favorites from um, and it, it it actually has to do with UCC filings. so it goes goes back to, to the beginning of, of the talk so it was a situation where we were were helping uh, a uh, in a matter where a real estate developer had gone gone kind of bust this was in the period in the um, kind of early 90s where a lot of real estate People, you know, the savings and lo- what the savings and loans collapsed and stuff,
1: mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. they
2: were trying to track down, you know, his companies, his assets, and trying to understand, you know, what he was all about, so they can recoup, you know, various monies that had been lent to him. And one of the things that they had they had heard in the various negotiations with the guys that he had used an asset that um, he had pledged an asset more than once as collateral. And it was, it was something that wasn't like dollar wise, a big, big situation, but they still wanted to find it because it was just, they wanted that, like, be able to kind of show him, look, you know, we know all about you, you know, we're, we're, we're finding all your secrets. You can't hide from us. And that, and that's, I think one of the things that's really valuable about background research, like in a lot of contexts, it's, it's the stuff itself isn't like maybe, you know, earth shattering, but it's. It's like a bullshit director. I don't know if I can say that word, but but it's like a a bullcrap direct, you know, uh, detector. So if mm-hmm. someone tells you, you know, I I you know I graduated from you know Harvard, and you're looking at their their LinkedIn, and you you see that they graduated from not Harvard, you know, it it, it just helps you evaluate the interview. It's you know, it's, right. it's not it's less the specific thing that they're lying about, but it helps you assess their credibility. So a lot of the, what you find. In the background research, it's it's not the findings that are important per se, but it's the findings in the context of what else you know about the person. So in this situation, you know, it was it was they were kind of really interested in it, could we track this down. So all they knew was the the name of the bank, and it was like you know it was like Citibank or you know it was one of these like re- you know really big banks. So it's hard to search on the bank, and they knew that the asset was. You know, I think in in a certain state. But what what we knew from from a variety of research on this person is we knew like his how he had structured his companies. We knew that he used certain PO boxes and things like that. So we were able to use that PO box and search that against the bank name, and and lo and behold, we found you know these UCC filings that showed you know the two different UCC filings showing the same assets being pledged more than once. So, you know, to me the, the lesson there is 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 twofold. You know, one it's it's just that these online databases that we can use, you know, they, they just cover so much information. So, you know, you can even though you know you think that you're 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 going through lots and lots and lots of records, when you make your search right using the right search terms or the right search parameters, you can really, you know, drill down and find that one document in there. And then, you know, the second lesson is, is knowing what those search terms are. I mean, knowing, mm-hmm. so let's say mm-hmm. we knew just, you know, the search on his P.O. box because we knew that that was something that he had all these businesses that didn't necessarily have, have his name on them. He used a lot of different nominees and fronts, but they all tended to come back to the same P.O. box. So we used that as kind of like our, our anchor, and, and we were able to find, find what we were looking for.
1: And, and unfortunately, that's why banks have, now have whole fraud units that do nothing but check out international transfers and all that goes on with uh, people who con- <laughs> commit fraud. <laughs> you know, I mean, the reality is that fraudsters do get away with uh, doing things like just the one you just described. You know, they can put something down more than once, and nobody checks. Right, right. I think, I think that's that's a that's you know a good point. I mean, a lot of a lot
2: of due diligence errors are simply because people didn't check or they didn't check the right things. Um, I think that that does drive drive a lot of stuff. I mean, people are. It still astonishes me that, you know, having done this for a long, long time and been a proflitizer. Of, of this for a long, long time, that people are still not familiar with, you know, everything that can be done with, with public records. And that, you know, that these, you know, rather easy to do inexpensive checks can't, can be done.
1: So Rob, one of the things you mentioned, uh, because we've only got a few minutes left, I'm just wondering if you could talk about this a little bit, is uh, you talked about the Global Investigative Journalism Network, and you uh, uh-huh. thought that was a good guide for people that were interested in learning more about research.
2: Yeah. I, I, there's always there's a, a, a big overlap between what investigative, investigative journalists and private investigators or, or researchers like me do. And, in fact, there's, you know, there's been a lot of, of investigators, private investigators, who entered the business after careers in, in journalism. So mm. you know, journalism, j- journalists have to rely on, you know, kind of the same tools that, that we do, which is, you know, public records, online databases, things like that. I mean, we, we don't have access to, you know, police databases. We don't have access to bank records or things like that both you know journalists and and you know researchers and investigators so it's a, it's a good kind of training and background so on that same vein organizations and resources that are geared towards training journalists uh, are also organizations resources that are good for investigators so i have you know i came across this one and, you know, Again, you know, with the idea that their resources would be good for investigators, even though it's geared towards journalists,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: and they have some they have some materials on on their site um, that are, are really good for understanding um, real estate records, how real estate records are filed in the United States, how real estate records are filed in other parts of the world. Um, if you're you're ever trying to find assets internationally, so it's a good resource. Uh, anything that's focused on journalists is also going to be a good resource generally for investigators or, or researchers. Uh, I'll, there's, uh, you know, the various databases that these journals have put together for the, um, the notable leaks, you know, the things like the Panama papers and stuff like that. I don't, are you mm-hmm. familiar with those?
1: I, yes. So those, from years know, I, ago. Yeah.
2: So, so those data sites, you know, they're, like I said, they're primarily built by journalists and for journalists, but they're great resources for investigators, you know, showing companies that use, you know, various Panamanian um, entities, for instance. Um, so so anytime you see something for a journalist uh, and you're an investigator, you know, don't ignore it. That, that's a lesson.
1: That's that's a good lesson, and you also mentioned another. And we do really ha- only have a couple of minutes, but you mentioned Edgar that you use Edgar. Um, uh, sure. Cons- so uh,
2: Edgar's or, Edgar is the site for um, uh, com- you know companies that have to file with the SEC. So if you offer securities to to the public, um, you know you are required then to to file certain documents. Um, you know, with, with the Securities and Exchange Commission, uh, you know, uh, annual reports, quarterly reports, and other types of documents documents on your um, who owns the company. Um, if you own more than a certain percent, you know, generally five percent of a company, um, you have to file a report with the SEC. So, Edgar Edgar is that site that that houses all those documents.
1: You know, Rob, you have so much knowledge. In your little finger, <laughs> right. if people people want to hire you, where would they contact you?
2: So my my website is is manage risks with a with an S, dot net. So that you know that my contact information is on the website. My background information, um, my biography, a lot of things we talked about today. Um, my my blog, which has various kind of posts and musings and my attempts to be be educational and informative for for the investigative uh, public is is on that website as well so fabulous. i think that's the best place to to check in on on me
1: well that's great and thank you uh so much rob for being on the show today uh, very interesting topic uh you sound like a fabulous researcher i wish i had your skills uh, so and for the rest of you folks. It's PIS Declassified. Hope you have a great week. It's Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rob. Bye-bye.
0: You've been listening to PIS Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler.